Um, I'm from East Central Missouri, and some of you probably grew up, maybe you are uh, one of those people they call rednecks. Um, we were deep in the woods behind the rednecks, the people that... Uh, the people that I grew up with, just wonderful people, salt-of-the-earth people. Uh, but one of my buddies had a problem, and uh, his neighbor had five dogs. This is a, a common issue. And uh, the dogs barked all the time. They left the dogs outside. They barked and barked. It went on for weeks. And my buddy was laying in bed with his wife one night, and he goes, You know what? I've had enough. Five weeks seems reasonable. And he went, went out. About 20 minutes later, he comes back in. He gets in bed. The dog barking just continues on. His wife lays there for a minute and she said, I, I thought you were going to do something about that. He said, I did. He said, I put their dogs in our backyard. Let's see how the neighbor likes it now. <laughs> Look, the dog even liked it. See? Uh, here's my point of using that story. We have a tendency to shuffle around our problems rather than deal with them. We move around our pain, we bury our pain, we drink over our pain, we drug over our pain, we spend over our pain, but at the end of it, the dog is still barking. That dog has got a word. The word for that dog is the word shame. And we don't talk about that, lot, that word a lot. It used to be something you would hear a lot. You would hear older women say, oh, that is shameful. For shame, for shame. You don't hear that word anymore. In fact, the concept is almost lost on our culture. Let me show you what happened biblically. In Genesis 1, you know the story. First family's there. It's all yours. The whole earth, all the animals, all the food. Enjoy, live life, big time, go for it. One tree, stay away from it. They start looking at the one tree, take pictures of it, post it on Instagram. Eve wrote a blog about it. Next thing you know, she takes a piece of it. She says, Adam, you got to check this out. What they found out was that there was evil in the world. And now they knew they were naked and they were ashamed. And they went and hid. And God shows up to walk with them in the morning. And he says, where are you? Oh, yeah, we're over here. And long story short, God does the, it's the first sacrifice in scripture. An animal was sacrificed so that they could be covered with the blood. They were covered with leather garments, but an animal had to die that sacrifice to cover their shame. We get to Genesis 6. In Genesis 6, between Genesis 2 and Genesis 6, it says every thought, every deed, every Every action of everybody on the earth was evil all the time. Genesis 2 to Genesis 6. Now it's a period of about a thousand years, 1,200 years maybe. But we went from being right with God to being ashamed to no longer caring at all. You get to Genesis 18 and 19 and you run into two cities that you know well. There was actually five cities of the plain, but only two of them get talked about. Sodom and Gomorrah. Not only had shame gone away, but the shameful things have now become the right things. That's how perversion works in any culture. 
And so we start off where we face shame, we shuffle it around because we don't know what to do with it. And I, I can remember as a kid doing things that, that I knew would bring shame to my mother. Now, my mother and father still listen to this on Sunday afternoon. They'll be listening to this. So I'm not going to tell you any stories because my mother is almost 80 and she thinks I was an angel. So let's just leave it there. All right. All right. But there were things that I did that I knew would bring shame to my mom and my dad. And it hurt me. But I kept doing them. Anybody? Am I the only sinner in the room? Then I remember a couple of times I actually got caught. And mom and dad would sit me down, usually with tears in their eyes, and say, Joe, we're worried about you. And of course I would lie, because that's what you do. You shuffle the shame, right? And, uh, but deep down inside it hurt even deeper now that I knew that they were aware. But the truth is, there's another layer to that, and that's God himself. There's only two ways to deal with shame. You just keep shuffling around. I'll move it from this neighborhood to this neighborhood. Maybe if I have this wife or this money, maybe if I buy this new explorer, that will take it away. Now, no matter what you do, that shame follows you. And shame causes anxiety. Shame causes depression. Uh, shame will cause you to act in all kinds of ways that you wouldn't. And at some level, you will get to the point where there is no longer shame. You'll turn your shame into, this is what's right. And that's a terrible place to be. The whole point of shame is designed into our system to drive us to do what? To turn back to God. Not to say, hey, I need to find some other people that will tell me I'm right. That they're living the same shameful life I am. Well, that's not Christianity. No, the goal is to get into the Word and say, you know what, this is wrong. I've got to change. I've got to repent. I've got to turn my life around. That's the goal. So here's the story in Isaiah chapter 20. Okay? Assyria is about to destroy Israel, Egypt, and Ethiopia, all right? They're coming out of what we know today as Babylon. They're coming out of Iraq, and they're going to wipe out everybody. Isaiah's warning them. For three years, Isaiah warns them, if you don't listen to God, you're going to be destroyed. And he does it in a very unique way. If you'll stand out of respect for God's word, here we go. In the year that the supreme commander sent by Sargon, he was the king of Assyria, he came to Ashdod in the Gaza and attacked and captured it. At that time, the Lord spoke through Isaiah and he said to him, Take off your sackcloth, your outer clothes, from your body and the sandals from your feet. And he did so, going around stripped and barefoot. Then the Lord said, just as my servant Isaiah has gone stripped and barefoot for three years as a sign and a portent against Egypt and Cush, so the king of Assyria will lead away, stripped and barefoot, the Egyptian captives and the Cushite exiles, young and old, with their buttocks bared to Egypt's shame. Those who trusted in Cush and boasted in Egypt will be afraid and put to shame. In that day... The people who live on this coast will say, See what has happened to those who relied on those who fled to for help and to the deliverance from the king of Assyria. 
How then can we escape? You can be seated. So let me tell you the story in simple terms. The Assyrians are coming. The Ethiopians are warriors. The Assyrians are warriors. But the Assyrians are warriors that are a whole new level. We've talked about them. They kill everybody. They don't play. They just kill you. And Cush is today Ethiopia, Sudan, South Sudan, Eritrea, and Somalia. It covers most of East Africa. And then, of course, Egypt, we know about the power that they were. Well, Israel's in a, ba- in, in a bind. They know that Assyria is going to come and destroy them too. And all Isaiah is trying to get them to do is to turn back to God so they can be spared. For three years, Isaiah preaches for them to repent and turn back to the living God. That work, that'll work for a country. It'll work for a church. It'll work for a family. It'll work for a person. Isaiah was told by God, here's your assignment. I want you to walk around in your underwear for three years. Now, that's not an assignment you want to get. You think Jonah had a tough one, all right? He walked around in just his underwear for three years. Now, wouldn't you think that would get somebody's attention? I mean, understand, this is not, okay, it's not me. It's just not some itinerant preacher This is the prophet in Jerusalem. Isaiah is the man. And this man comes out on stage to talk today. And he comes out in his underwear for three years in a row. Saying the same thing. Guys, turn back to God. Guys, turn back to God. Don't look to allies. Don't look to friends. God's going to wipe all of them out. You better turn back to God. I don't know. Maybe after you see a guy in his underwear for three years, maybe you just don't think about it anymore. I'm sure they thought he was crazy. But he's there to remind them of what is about to happen. So God's using this as as an object lesson. Now, I don't know how many of you like to go barefoot. I grew up, let's go back to my story. I grew up in East Central Missouri. And the benefit of East Central Missouri, we have this weird stuff. It's called grass. I've lived in Florida now 30 years. You don't have grass. You have little round things that puncture holes like needles into your feet. Your grass is like swords that cut into your feet. You don't have grass. And you know what? We don't plant it. We don't water it. We don't fertilize it. In Missouri, grass just happens. It's crazy. So barefoot is fun. Barefoot's never fun in Florida, unless you're at the beach. And then you've got other problems. Legos. How about a bedpost? How many in the middle of the night have kicked the bedpost? Oh, man. There is no pain like that because everything in you wants to let something go, but the whole house is asleep and you're not, you know. Well, that's the picture of Isaiah. Isaiah's walking around barefooted in this rocky culture. His feet have got to be bleeding. He's got to be cold. He's got to be miserable. And yet he's preaching a message trying to get the attention of the people. Three years Do you see the patience of God? Do you see the mercy of God? Do you understand that God could have just said, boys, it's over tonight. He could have given them what they deserved. But he gave them three years. I hope somebody listened. I hope somebody did. But as a mass, 
They did not. How many of you would like to go around like Isaiah? Probably none of us would want that. He was humiliated. He was shamed. Can I tell you that's what Jesus did on the cross? Jesus took our sin and our shame. See, we don't, the word's hard to even say. My sin's bad enough, but my shame, yeah. All the words that I said, all the thoughts I had, all the things that I, that I did that were so perverted and so wrong, all of that shame was put on Jesus at the cross. He took that for us. If you're not a Christian today, you need to know. You don't have to keep moving your shame around. Jesus died to take it away once and for all. Does anybody need that? Is there anybody in this room that's glad that Jesus did that for you? Man. I don't want those reels. I don't even like the reels running in my head. I sure wouldn't want somebody else to watch them. And I sure wouldn't want to stand with God in heaven and have to watch that reel. Oh, that would be terrible. Maybe you're watching at home. You're at Palm Bay. You're at the land. We're so glad that you're there. But this shame issue cuts across all towns, all racial divides, economic divides. Shame is an equal opportunity destroyer. And either you'll keep moving that shame around or you can bring it to Jesus and say, Jesus, will you forgive me? And his answer is yes, every time. A great preacher wrote these words. He said, he said that I know they keep telling us they can't legislate morality, but I would to God that our lawmakers would stop legislating immorality. What a statement. What a statement. You want to get a screenshot of that if you need to go to sleep here? Get a picture with me. Okay. All right. I would to God they'd stop legislating immorality. You see, isn't it interesting? We can't legislate morality, but... Morality is also immorality, and that we can legislate. That's the world that we live in. Because if we normalize shame, then we can all feel better about ourselves, right? But the truth is, the dogs are still barking in the backyard. John 3.20, everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. Isn't that what shame is? If I come clean, if I come clean with God, I'm going to have to admit all of this junk. Yeah, you do. You and God are going to have to do business with that. And there's people in this room, there's people watching online, and uh, some of you right now, you can barely see me, and that's okay. I'm just glad you're there, because Jesus died for your shame, for my shame, for all of our shame. Now, the problem is the older you get, the less shame you think you have. But all you got to do is think back a few years. Just run the reel back a little bit. It won't take you that long to find it. So the question is, how, how do you like going barefoot when there's rocks cutting your feet? How do you like the idea of that shame constantly being with you? The truth is, I don't. Then the second question he asked is, how could you trust in people instead of God? But that's what we have a tendency to do. When things get difficult, 
We look to a friend. We look to a neighbor. We look for an ally. We look to our bank account. We look to, we look to somebody more powerful. We look to somebody who will protect us. In Israel's case, they go, you know what? Things are really bad, but Egypt will protect us. Cush will protect us. Anything except the one move that would have been so simple. What was it? God, would you protect us? God, would you forgive us for turning our backs on you? Maybe you individually, you as a family, you as a marriage, maybe you have to deal with that. Listen, every day man shows me he's unworthy of trust. All I got to do is turn on the news. I, you can't trust mankind. That's why I come out here every week and say, don't even trust what you're told from this stage. You trust what the Bible says. Because if in any way I put the Bible off in the wrong direction, you need to know the truth. So you don't go home and quote me, you go home and quote Jesus. That's the point. But people still have a tendency to trust in man. I want to give you a quote I read this week. It would be weird at any time, but just stick with me. This is the quote. It says that we are bewildered at the thought that there must be a right answer. Forcing children to find the right answer causes nothing but fear. Now, if that was in a philosophy class in a grad school, I might go, you know, that's an interesting discussion to talk about, does finding the right answer cause fear? You know, that's a quote from a California curriculum for grade school math. So teaching a child that 2 plus 2 is 4 creates fear in them. What do you do when you get in the real world and 2 and 2 is 4? You see, here's the problem. If Satan can convince you that there's no absolutes in math, it's real easy to get to what we're talking about today and say, well, if two and two is, we're not even sure that's four, you certainly can't know how to get to heaven. Always must be the way to heaven. And Jesus gets cut out. Don't miss the fact that everything that goes on in your world is to undercut the idea of the gospel. Even if it's a math curriculum in California, the goal is always somehow to prevent you from thinking about the fact that Jesus is the one and only way to heaven. Because men sit down, I mean, some committee got together and said, you know what, this idea of finding the right answer is just ridiculous in math. Man, I wish my teacher would have had that. I... I'd have a Ph.D. in math right now because I was wrong all the time. Oh, sorry, I can't be wrong. See, I mean, where does it end? You can't trust, right? Well, who do you trust? You're going to trust people that can't tell you the two and two for sure is four? And yet Jesus said, I'm the way. You, you get to decide. My creation moment for today. Do you know during World War II, this is not a joke, this is truth. In World War II, they found out that coconuts, we had, do we have any World War II vets in here today? There's, I know there's two left in the church. They're both 93 years old. Anybody here today? Okay. Maybe, maybe later, maybe they'll get up. I don't know. Anyway, great, great men. Great, great men. 
Uh, but during World War II, out in the Pacific Theater, they found that when they were out of plasma, they could hook guys up to coconuts. And the coconut water was sterile, and it would do the same thing that human plasma would do for a soldier. Do you know that? Now, here's the problem. Evolution says that the only way something evolves if there's something in it for them too. Because it wouldn't evolve just for you. So what did the coconut get out of that? There's nothing for the coconut to be gained by that. But God in his wisdom knew that there was a way in a situation like this to save lives. And using coconut water. See, this is the kind of a God that we serve. But Ezekiel warned us. Let's just go to the... Well, it all needs to be read. They're already here. Let's just do it. All right. Ezekiel warns of what it's going to be like at the end times. It's a warning to preachers, but it's a warning for all of us. So just listen to his words. When I say to a wicked man, you will surely die, and you do not warn him or speak out to dissuade him from his evil his evil ways in order to save his life, that wicked man will die in his sin. And I will hold you accountable for his blood. But if you do not warn the wicked man, and he does not turn from his wickedness or from his evil ways, he will die for his sin, but you will have saved yourself. Again, when a righteous man turns from his righteousness and does evil, and I put a stumbling block before him, he will die. Since you did not warn him, he will die for his sin. The righteous things he did will not be remembered, and I will hold you accountable for his blood. Whoa. What, what's he saying? That if you and I don't talk to people about dealing with truth and finding Jesus, understanding, hey, this is sin, you need to turn from this. Now, I can tell you that, and you may not turn from it. But he says, if I tell you, your blood's now on your head, not mine. If I don't tell you, we're both guilty. That's a tough one. That's a tough one. That means we've got a responsibility to speak out. And what had happened during Ezekiel's time, during Isaiah's time, nobody wanted to speak the truth. And if you go back to when Jesus was getting crucified, you remember the story when they released a guy named Barabbas? If you don't know the story... They, they, they had a, a custom that on the Passover, they would let one guy go. And he said, you want Jesus or you want Barabbas? You'd never heard of Barabbas if it weren't for this story. He was just a common thief. He was a thief, a murderer. And the crowd started yelling, give us Barabbas. Are you kidding me? This guy was a, a thief, a murderer. He stole from half of you in the crowd. You see, they didn't choose Barabbas because they loved him. They chose Barabbas because they hated truth. And Jesus put... The, what did Jesus do? Let's see, he fed people, he healed the sick, he uh, taught them how to go to heaven. And yet, when it came to crunch time, they would rather have the criminal released than to have the Son of God released. All I can hope is that Barabbas accepted Jesus. I hope we get to see him in heaven. Because the crowd chose him. I hope he saw what God did for him. But that brings us to the last part 
of this message. He says, so how will we escape? Egypt gets destroyed. Israel gets destroyed. Uh, Egypt and Cush get destroyed. Now God's said, now Israel, you're next. And they still refused to repent. So he says, guys, how will we escape? Egypt wasn't the answer. Cush wasn't the answer. It's pretty simple, guys. Turn back to God. Turn back to God. How will we escape? How can I overcome my sin? How do I overcome my shame? How do I find forgiveness and healing? Only through the blood of Jesus. No other religion promises forgiveness. 1 John chapter 5 says that if you have Jesus, you have life. You have been forgiven. So if you're watching online, there's a button. I've decided. Push that button. You're here in the room, right over here. Decision. People, two people. We had two baptisms before the service last night. We had two that came up during the uh, song at the end, and they were baptized at the end of the service. So many, so many opportunities here for people to find Jesus. And I don't want you to go home without him. Because if you just keep moving the dogs around in the backyard or keep covering up the shame, eventually the shame feelings will go away and you'll begin to look for other people that participate in the same kind of shame that you do. Interestingly enough, in Hebrews 2 verse 3, the Hebrew writer says, How can we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? See, the Hebrew writer is explaining, Jesus came, Jesus died, Jesus paid the price for your sin, for your shame, for, your, for all the ugliness you've ever committed. He said, if you reject this, where else are you going to go? Tell me what your plan of escape is if you reject this great salvation that has been freely given to you. I hope you run to the front. I hope the button's being pushed like crazy right now. Because this message of hope is so important. Now, what's the message for the rest of us? Is that we've got to keep it up. We've got to keep inviting our friends. We've got to keep moving the gospel. Because the churches that don't move the gospel die. Our job is to invite. Our job is to talk. Our job, not to be miserable to people. Our job is to love people into the kingdom of God. Invite your friends. Invite your co-workers. Get them here. Get them to a Bible study. Get them to some event that you're a part of so they can find out what Jesus is really all about. I want to finish with this story. These are two uh, New York Mets players. Francisco Lindor just signed a contract for the Mets for 325 million dollars. And I'll get too excited. He's got to play like 12 years of ball for that. It's not like, you know, they're just giving it to him or anything. But the next guy is the one that impresses me. This is Bobby Bonilla. Bobby Bonilla made a lot of money playing baseball. But in his contract, he deferred his money. And in New York, every year, they have a Bobby Bonilla day to make fun of the New York Mets. Because Bobby Bonilla has not played ball since 2001. And there's a day in the summer every year, according to the contract, that Bobby gets $1.19 million check from the New York Mets. And he will get it until he's 72 years old. Now that's financial planning, as far as I could tell. That's... 
Now, I, I'm not against Lindor's contract either, okay? I mean, at three, 325 mil, you could take that too. But here's what Bonilla did right. He thought about the future. And so many people only think about now. What, am I, what do I do now to make me happy? What do I do now to cover my shame? What do I do now to hide from this? No, the question is, what are you going to do in eternity? So, Father, as we finish, I can't convert anybody, but your word and your spirit can. Maybe people came here today to make this decision. Maybe people had no intentions of making this decision. Maybe people watching online by accident. Now, you got a plan. So I ask that your Holy Spirit would go to work in this room right now. In Jesus' name, amen.